The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition, the end of season bowl edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. Uh, We are coming to you a day after National Signing Day, uh, four days after, um, or excuse me, five days after Memphis closed out its regular season with a win over Houston to finish the year seven and three. Uh, Just six days away from uh, the Montgomery Bowl, where Memphis uh, will take on Florida Atlantic December 23rd uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. So um, a lot to get to this week. You know, like we said, the, the Houston game, the Montgomery Bowl, National Signing Day. We, we got some all AAC uh, selections and and snubs, perhaps, to debate. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get a little bit into the college football playoff and uh, basically how Cincinnati is just getting uh, getting the uh, short end of the stick. Um, <laughs> we say shafted? Like, that's not inappropriate for you. We say shafted. Yeah. Why not? They're getting, they're yeah. getting the shaft. Well, yeah. We can, why don't we start with this right now, right off the bat? So yesterday, Mike Oresco was on Feinbaum's show and basically said we might as well go back to the BCS because these rankings that this, co- this college football playoff committee is doing don't make any sense. And he's right. Like, there's the, you know, like what this year has reinforced is that you know, this college football playoff has no intention of including everyone. It's it's really the college football playoff for the Power Five uh, conferences. Because in my mind, so this week they moved Cincinnati, who's undefeated, has looked great. Um, they move them down to number nine. Cincinnati moved down the same amount for not playing this past week as Florida did for losing to a bad LSU team. Um, and so in my mind, there's no way Cincinnati should be lower than six in these. Like, I think there's a, you could make an argument to have Texas A&M ahead of them because A&M's only loss is to Alabama this year. Um, but Florida, Iowa state, those schools shouldn't be ahead of Cincinnati. I mean, Iowa state lost to Louisiana. Right. So, um, but I'm curious, Evan, um, what you think of Oresco's comments. I, you know, it's like at this point, I don't know if it's it's like he's yelling into like a huge, uh, huge black hole. Like no one, you know, he's been he's been banging this drum for a long time, um, and I'm not criticizing him. Like that's what he's got to do. But like, you know, will this? Do you think this year will will be the year that prompts an expansion of the playoff? What what have you taken away from the fact that? undefeated Cincinnati um, is going into this weekend's AAC championship game against Tulsa with no shot at being a playoff team. I think it's sadly almost what we have come to expect from this uh, college football playoff. 
Um, I was looking today and somebody noted it's almost the same as UCF, you know, in 17 and 18, where basically they had a ceiling for how high to get into. Now, Cincinnati, if you look at the AP and the coaches poll, they're what? I think they're six, right? If I'm not mistaken, they're in the top six. Yeah, that's where they should be. Yeah, they're they're basically being penalized for having COVID nineteen, which is utterly preposterous. Because I well, I don't even think it's that. I think they're being pen like well, they're being no. But if they if they had played games, would they have dropped? Like what I'm saying is they haven't yeah. played for three weeks. They dropped because of that. And even the committee basically said it's almost like well they haven't played in two weeks out of sight, out of mind. Meanwhile, Ohio State hasn't played in a couple of weeks. There's a bull from the committee. The real reason is they, they, they need to game it so that there's no – even if things go haywire this week during championship week, like an Ohio State loses to Northwestern and, and Alabama loses to Florida, they needed to set it up so that there was no way – even if things go crazy this weekend, Cincinnati won't get in. That's, yeah. that's what they did. But it's, it's like the wire said, the game is the game. The game was always going to protect the power five schools. And if there was every year, a non-power five team could have had a chance. This would have been the year before everybody came back. And now it just looks like the game stays the same. And it's unfortunate for Cincinnati. I mean, granted, they beat Tulsa. They'll still go to a New Year's Six Bowl. I think they'll play a great opponent and they'll give them a great game. But it just shows that if you're Cincinnati, if you're Coastal Carolina, you don't have a chance in hell of getting in because of the way the system is rigged. So it's, yeah. it's really unfortunate. Well, but it, hopefully ahead. this prompts an 18 playoff, but even that, like what's funny is like an 18 playoff still won't be totally fair to the group of five. It just will be less uh, egregiously unfair, at, you know, than, well, than, than it is now. Well, Mark, you would know this better than me. Let's say that there's if there's an 18 playoff, how much you want to bet they'll find a way to get maybe the if there's the SEC finalist or the AC finalist or, you know, the um, oh, it's I mean, it's still going to be seven Power Five teams yeah. and, a, and a group of more than likely and one group of five team if you go to eight. But still, you know, it's better than what it is now. Um, yeah. And so that that's the backdrop as we head into championship weekend from the AAC's perspective. It's just you know, and it stinks for Memphis that you know. That's that's the way this college football system is. That even if Memphis has, you know, a dream season, I guess last year was kind of a dream season going to the Cotton Bowl. But let's say Memphis, let's say Memphis, that that Temple game, the, the Joey Magnifico catches the ball officially, um, and they win that Temple game and go undefeated last year. Like what this year shows is that Memphis team would have also had no shot at making the playoff if they had gone undefeated. And so um, it's unfortunate, but um, alas, that's the world we live in. Um, and uh, the bright news, the bright side is uh, if you're looking at this from Memphis's perspective, this season, um, you know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't probably, you know, I think everyone would prefer to have Memphis in the AAC championship game this weekend, but going seven and three, playing ten, completing ten games in a pandemic, going to a bowl game for the seventh straight year, um, having you know a quarterback set all sorts of records, having a wide receiver emerge and and run and and go over a thousand yards, um, all in all, pretty good season for the Memphis football program, I'd say. 
Um, and they cap it off with, you know, that Houston game on Saturday wasn't uh, uh, wasn't one you'll frame. You know, you, you coughed up a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter. But at the same time, that it was like almost as if um, it, it was the way it played out if they had blown the game, obviously it would have been really disappointing if they had lost, but the way it ended up playing out was actually kind of perfect in that in Brady White's, presumably his last game at the Liberty bowl, he leads the team right down the field in 28 seconds uh, for the game winning 47 yard field goal from uh, Riley Patterson. And, and I wrote this in my column. I thought the celebration uh, was great. Like that you could just, I was really happy that all those players that sacrificed so much to play this year and had to go through so much this year because of COVID-19 that they got that celebration uh, on last Saturday in that Houston game. That must, it just, it felt so redeeming and rewarding uh, given everything they'd been through. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. I mean, you could argue that game was like the quintessential Memphis game this year where the defense looked good in spurts. The offense had some moments. Calvin Austin had another touchdown. Um, and then it also, on the flip side, the defense gave back that lead. The offense stalled. And then Riley Patterson delivered. I mean, I, 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 I sat there thinking about the end and watching him celebrate. It was like, you know what? This, this is the year for that. Like, how about, how about that for the last game of delivery? I thought your column did a good job just saying, you know, this is why they played. And I think, yeah, like if you could have that moment to kind of end the regular season, you got through 10 games to be able to just go crazy like that. Brady White taking a victory lap after the game. I, I thought that was really, it was the, the Memphis game to kind of define kind of how the season has gone, if you will, on the field and even just them being able to celebrate off, you know, on it. So. Yeah, no. And, and it, and it highlighted, I thought the game highlighted some of the things that were really um, important about this year, or I guess some of the things that will carry over into next year. Because obviously, you know, next season, you know, basically as soon as the Montgomery Bowl ends, the story becomes who's the next Memphis quarterback, unless Brady surprises us and, and decides to try and come back for a seventh year um, but all indications are that he's uh, planning on moving on to the next step uh, of his career, whatever that ends up being, um, whether it's the NFL or something else. Um, so that's the story. But coming out of the Houston game, what I found really interesting is one, you know, I, I thought the defense, well, the defense is it wasn't, was never great this year, but it wasn't, it, it, the first six games of the year it was like really bad, and the la- it felt like the last four or five ga- four games they became an adequate defense, and at times trended towards a, a decent defense. Mm-hmm. Um, in that Houston game, I thought they played pretty well, and you had um, like some interesting, go- like just some. Yes, the defense was led by guys like Joseph Dorsius, like O'Brien Goodson. Um, you know, Jacoby Francis, TJ Carter, like veterans like that. But what I thought was encouraging was it felt like the defense's transition, its improvement was led by a lot of guys who will be back. Like at each level, like you, you look at Morris Joseph on the defensive line. I mean, that guy was a beast by the end of the year. I think he had sacks in seven straight games. Is that right, Evan? Six straight AAC games, he had a sack. 
six straight AAC games. He had a sack. Then at the linebacker level, I thought Cole Mashburn was, you know, a revelation at linebacker. He gave you that kind of hybrid pass rusher uh, outside linebacker with size. Like he's not, he's bigger than your typical AAC linebacker. Um, <clears throat> him and uh, what's his name? Jaleel Clemens. Is that what his name is? Right. Yeah. He really well. Both those guys are intriguing guys moving forward. And then in the secondary, Quindell Johnson might've been arguably their best defensive player this year. Led the team in tackles, um, had a bunch of interceptions. Three um, with interception. Like, like, I mean, there's some encouraging pieces there. And then just the fact of the matter was that the, the defense seemed like they – it just seemed like uh, they assumed more of an identity. They kind of they, – they, they figured out Mike McIntyre's scheme a little better. It just it – just, they just felt more organized by the end of the year. Um, and that makes sense because they didn't get a spring practice. And, you know, their, their preseason was weird because of COVID-19. And so it makes sense that, you know, by the end of the year, they look pretty good on defense. Now, off- offensively, um, it was better against Houston than it had been against Navy and, you know, in recent weeks. It was better. Um, but I still think, especially with the fact that you're losing Brady White, I think you do have some real uh, – there's some, there's some real uh, – I don't concerns. know if concerns is the right word, but just some – some real, uh, some real uh, look in the mirror that needs to happen this offseason to make sure uh, the offense we saw in the first half of the year uh, come, you know, is, is there when Memphis returns, when Memphis uh, plays next season. Uh, because obviously the offense just didn't look right uh, the last few games. I, I think that's being very kind of you, Mark, saying it didn't look right the last few games. Yeah. I'm looking this up just to double check. If I'm not mistaken, they had their three worst uh, offensive games by yards to end the season. Uh, really? Navy, Navy being the worst, Tulane, and then Houston. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So you you mentioned how the defense is trending upward. You know, I think the bit like you said, the big question next year is not only is who's the new quarterback, but can a spring training, spring practice, and a preseason or fall camp fix this offense? Because right now that's what you're really worried about how it's going to look next year. I mean, Ryan Stillfield's been saying, you know, there's open competition at running back. You're going to have open competition at quarterback. And I think those have been the two most important positions of this offense, you know, besides your number one receiver. So we'll see what happens. I think the Montgomery Bowl, hopefully, we'll, as we preview it, we'll talk about that. But, yeah, the defense this year, I thought, you know, definitely got better. Um, we'll talk about the All-AAC team. But I think, you know, Morris Joseph is going to be your defensive leader up front. Um, Quindell Johnson, I mean, the guy just makes plays. I'll mention another guy, Rodney Owens, made some great plays midway yeah. through the season. He's um, back so, next year. Yeah. yeah, and again, the defense got stops when they needed to. I mean, let's be honest, as much as Memphis, you know, gave back a 21-point lead, if the defense didn't play really well the first three quarters, it could have been even worse. So, you know, you saw improvement with the defense. And I think what that leads to is an interesting Montgomery Bowl, just kind of like, you know, how good will the offense be? How good can the defense be against, you know, an offense that's really struggling in Florida Atlantic? Um, but overall, like you said, I think you see some good things for next year and you have a lot of question marks to some very key positions, especially obviously quarterback and running back. Yeah, quarterback's going to dictate a lot of the outlook going into next year. And we'll, we'll get into that in a, 
in our post Montgomery bowl pod, you know, looking at the quarterback situation uh, moving forward. Um, Cause there's some options in house. There's a recruit who we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and there's also the possibility that ca- they could go out and try and grab a transfer of some kind. Uh, I forgot. They also have to replace Riley Patterson. So they need yeah, got to replace a kicker too. Um, let's get into the all AAC teams before we dive into national signing day and the bowl. So, the all AAC teams were announced uh, earlier this week. It's the first time, certainly since I've been here, that Memphis, if I'm if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong here, Evan. I'm pretty sure it's the first time since like 2016 or seven, 16 that they that Memphis hasn't had some sort of player of the year in the conference because they've had like the special. It feels like they've had the special teams player of the year like three four years in a row. Um, 18, I think my first year on the beat, they didn't have one. That was the oh, only year. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but so here, let's go give you a little rundown of the important stuff. So your 2020 AAC Offensive Player of the Year is Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback. The Defensive Player of the Year is Zavin, Zavin Collins, uh, the Tulsa linebacker. Um, Chris Nagar, the SMU kicker, or Nagar, I think yeah. maybe is how it's pronounced. Um, be careful saying his last name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like that South Park episode. Uh, it, <laughs> we won't get into it here. But the SMU kicker is the uh, is the special teams player of the year, and then uh, East Carolina running back, uh, East Carolina running back Rajay Rajay Harris, and SMU running back Ulysses Bentley the fourth were the co rookies of the year. Um, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati was the coach of the year. Um, and then in terms of Memphis, so Calvin Austin made first team all AAC at wide receiver and O'Brien Goodson made first team all AAC at defensive on the, along the defensive line. Uh, then on second team, um, Quindell Johnson, the defensive back, sophomore defensive back, um made second team um am i missing anyone else that's it yeah that's it yeah and then honorable mention sean tight end sean dykes defensive lineman morris joseph were honorable mention so congratulations those guys i think the one glaring thing here is um i was kind of i was pretty stunned that brady white was not even an honorable mention all ac um I'm not going to get into the, like, you can argue, you know, like, I think it's hard to argue. I know Desmond Ritter's passing numbers weren't the greatest, but, you know, he, he was, I guess, the, you know, the coaches, remember this is voted on by the coaches. He was the first team QB, um, and obviously because he was player of the year. Um, the second team QB was Dylan Gabriel, who leads the nation in passing yards over at UCF. So I, I don't know, like, I think there is, you could, could make an argument that Brady could be first or second team over one over those guys. I also think those guys have reasonable arguments as well. Uh, in my opinion, though, like isn't the, the the all the records Brady broke this year at Memphis and like just all the national recognition he received? You know, he's on all the he's like he's a finalist and semifinals for all these different national awards. And yet he's not even that, that to me, that to me, like screams, okay, honorable mention, like, you know, like at least like, you know, he deserved a mention in these awards, 
given the season he had the cut. I mean, like, you know, Memphis is it, Memphis with a different quarterback is probably four and six, you know, with just like an average quarterback this year is probably a four and 16. I mean, you listen, like, you know, does a, Whoever's quarterback next year, do you really expect them to do what Brady did in the UCF game? The U, like you don't win the UCF game, you don't win the USF game, and you don't win the Houston game with a different quarterback. I don't think. Not at all. You don't. You don't. Um, I was. I was just. I was kind of stunned by that. Now, to yeah. be fair, there were no quarterbacks who were given honorable mention, other than you know. So they had. They had. Um, Ritter and Gabriel, but no one else. Like no other AAC quarterback was even honorable mention. And I think that's probably my 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 biggest beat besides Quindell being being second team because I think you look at the honorable mention list and you're asking why why not have Bouchelle and Brady White on there? I mean, obviously they still had pretty good seasons. It's fair to put quarterbacks on there. That's probably it means, my it means the coaches didn't vote for him to be honest. I mean, because yeah. you know, like yeah, it, but I mean, yeah, but I guess like. Yeah, both of them played bad against Cincinnati, but outside of that, they had pretty good seasons. I mean, yeah. No, I agree with you. I think Kim and Bouchelle should have been honorable mention. Yeah. I mean, no shame in having two QBs on there. That's fair. But I mean, besides that, um, everything you said about Brady, I agree with. I actually didn't have a problem with the the all AC QBs. I mean, Gabriel, we saw what he did against Memphis. We saw what Desmond Ritter has done all season in, in game. So I was okay with that. Quindell Johnson not being on the first team for safety is a little surprising because I thought with his numbers and with his impact in the second half of the season, you would have thought maybe he could probably shoot up a little bit, but maybe they think to themselves, Hey, Morris Joseph had a great second half of the season. He only got second team. Well, and I think it's probably partly Evan, because if you look at the, you know, that pass defense was so bad for most of the year. And so are you really going to put a Memphis DB because even as even as, even though they improved by the end of the year, they still had one of the nation's worst pass defenses this year. Sure. Um, and so I, I, I'm even though Quindell, you're right, played really well. Um, I think he he probably got ham. You know, his first team candidacy probably was hampered by that fact. You know, and the fact yeah. that these coaches watch these coaches watched uh, this Memphis defense the whole year, and yeah. um, and and you know the the. Game plan for most teams going against this Memphis defense was let's take advantage of their secondary. Yeah. Um, and that's, you could argue that's why Quindell got three interceptions if you were a cynic. So, yeah, I, I, I'm actually not as upset about this when you say that. So, um, it is kind of surprising that Memphis does only have five representatives on here. I think I'm looking here. They have five. Houston has five. ECU has five, which is kind of surprising. But like you said, I mean, in this kind of weird season, who else would you add – on this list. Like I think O'Brien Goodson had a phenomenal year. Calvin Austin had a phenomenal year, but nobody else I think comes to mind is like, Oh, that's a first team guy. Like for, for, for once Memphis is all Yeah, I mean, you could maybe make the argument Riley Patterson could be on there somewhere. Although he didn't have as good a year kicking this year yeah. as he did a year ago. Yeah. No, nah, I, 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 I couldn't put Riley on there only just because like you said, we've seen him struggle a little bit this year. So I don't know. Yeah. It'll be a, uh... It, it is what it is. I mean, it doesn't really yeah. matter in the end. Um, <laughs> it's just fun to talk about. Right. Um, and then uh, yesterday, Evan, was uh, National Signing Day. Or I guess the beginning of the early signing period, but it's essentially become National Signing Day. I know there's some recruits 
still left. It was a good day for the University of Memphis. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the best recruiting class in terms of ranking that Memphis has had in the Rivals 247 era, uh, their consensus top 50 class. Uh, I believe they announced 15 signings yesterday. Evan, why don't you run down some of the um, – some of the, I guess the intrigue to you, the intriguing storylines for Memphis coming out of signing day, whether it's recruit, a recruit, they flipped uh, recruits you're, you're, you're particularly excited about, or Ryan Silverfield's particularly excited about. And, and I guess just what they're, how they, you know, from what you could gather, how they were able to put together a, a, this strong class. Sure. So I think um, obviously the big story for Memphis with this recruiting class is getting uh, McKaylin Pounders to to kind of flip, if you will. He was a longtime Mississippi State commit. He was committed to Ole Miss up until Tuesday before he decommitted. And Memphis kind of was always in his in his ear a little bit. And uh, he was able to commit to Memphis. Now he did tell two four seven Sports that Ole Miss said they didn't have room for him, so it kind of yeah. fell into Memphis's lap. But Ryan Silverfield did say yesterday, as we're recording this Thursday, he did say that. You know, Pounders came to visit the campus in January. They, you know, they talked. They talked to him. They stayed with him. He's the number one rated old lineman in Miss in Mississippi. He's 6'6", 295 pounds. I mean, let's face it. Memphis is going to need some help at tackle the next in the next two years with Obini Eze and uh, Dylan Parham both graduating. We expect so. Well, they just need help on the line in general. I mean, when you saw yeah, how they played yeah. this year, the last five, yeah. Six, so getting somebody like him, I think, brings immediate help. Um, but most of the guys committed early to Memphis and they stayed with Memphis. I think the, the, mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the drama that came was in November when your top rated recruit, Andrew Jones, a three-star linebacker from Louisiana, he decommitted along with um, Tyrell Raby from Louisiana. Both of them decommitted the same day in November. And then last week they both recommitted the same day. So that was kind of a big win for Memphis. I think Jones is, you know, Jones can come in and make an impact as a linebacker because Memphis will be, graduating a few of those guys. Um, they also got a kicker in this class, which again speaks to how with Riley Patterson leaving, you know, getting a kicker was a priority. So um, they got a fresh, they got a, you know, incoming kicker in this class. Um, they got a quarterback from Texas and Seth Hennigan, who is um, going to come into, again, as we talked about a quarterback room that's in flux, that's going to have competition. So for him, it'll be interesting because if everything plays out well for him, he's going to enroll early after the Texas State Championship. So that's going to be kind of a fun month for him to get ready for that. Um, so it's feels- interesting. I, I had my, my radio co-host, Jeffrey Wright, considers himself a quarterback savant. And he was watching Hennigan's, like, huddle film. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he thinks Hennigan – he doesn't know if he'll end up being Brady White. But in terms of, like, skill set, what he looks like on the field um, – lot of Brady White, a lot of Brady White similarities to Seth Hennigan's game, like the way he he looks like he plays the game. Well, it's kind of funny because almost in a way similar to Brady, like both of them were like Brian called him a football junkie. I mean, his dad's a football coach, so he basically yeah. grew up with the game in his lap, basically. So it'll be really interesting, kind of seeing how you know if he can make an impact. Um, another guy I really liked um, was I guess JP Martin, the running back from Houston at Memphis got because. Ryan Silverfield has said there's open competition for running back. So you bring in somebody else to add in, you know, we'll see what happens there, but overall. Well, and he sounds like the type of guy, correct me if I'm wrong here. Like he's the type of skilled position player. I don't know if Memphis attracts five years ago, 
but because but because of the what they've done with all these sending all these different guys to the NFL, um, suddenly you're able to go grab a guy from Houston uh, who it looks like it seems like they view you know could be like a Tony Pollard type of weapon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Ryan made that point again, like you know, five you know ten years ago, Memphis doesn't have a chance maybe with some of these guys, but now that they've improved, especially if you're a running back. Why wouldn't you consider Memphis? So I think that's a big win for them. And also, they did a lot of recruiting in-state. I think they had five players from Tennessee. Um, they got two from Memphis and Brandon Warner and uh, Greg Rubin, who didn't play this season. Um, the Nashville pipeline that Ryan established, he was able to get two guys from the Nashville area. So overall, this is a really good class. I think, you know, some guys are going to sign in February, Ryan said. Some guys have already signed but want to be announced in February. So to get, the, to get this class and have it be the highest-ranked class in the 247 sports era, I think it's a win for Memphis. I think it's a win for Silverfield. And I think it's a good sign of kind of replenishing because, let's face it, this team is going to be in transition the next two years where you have these guys who kind of had this great run. They're going to be graduating. So it's a good um, it's a good class that could be a good transitional class we'll see in the next two or three years yeah. as it evaluates. Yeah, no, and it gives you – just combined with going seven and three – it gives you some nice momentum heading into the off season, getting this class under your belt. And I would just say, it feels like the transactional part of the off season has really just begun like this, you know, one, you've got, you've got the additional signees or recruits that they'll try to grab here over the next couple months. But I really think the transfer market's going to be like its own signing day, if you will. I think there's going to be a lot of movement out of Memphis and a lot of movement into Memphis um and it's gonna be and it's gonna be like that everywhere and um I, I think it's going to be um crucial uh to take advantage of the transfer market especially at a place like memphis um i think the way you handle the transfer market could dictate um how quickly you, you, you mentioned transitional how quick the transition is could be dictated on how you manage the what's going to be a volatile transfer market throughout all of college football uh, this offseason. So that's something to, to look out for. All right, uh, before we wrap things up, let's let's take a look because this will be our last podcast before the Memorial or Montgomery Bowl on December twenty third. So let's take a look a little bit or, or preview a little bit what what Memphis has to look forward to here. So Memphis is going to play Fort Atlantic, Fort Atlantic coached by uh, former USF coach, uh, Willie, Willie Taggart. Um, the Owls, right? They're the Owls. Yep. So they are, do we know what their record is? They are, I'm pulling it up, but I just had it in my story here. Five and three. Yeah. Five and three. Um, you know, not quite what they were under uh, Lane Kiffin a couple years ago, um, but nonetheless, you know, decent team. Probably a team. You know, it's a team. You know, you'd hope Memphis can beat. Um, obviously, Memphis has not won a bowl game since uh, the Fuente era. Uh, they never won one under Mike Norvell. So this is an opportunity for Ryan Silverfield to add to that list of things Mike Norvell couldn't do. Um, you know, he's, he's been able to beat UCF. He's been able to beat Navy and now he has the chance he, at Navy, excuse me. And he, he now has the chance to uh, win a bowl game. 
Um, I'm not sure how important the game is other than, you know, it's probably be Brady White's last game in a Memphis uniform. Um, and, you know, you know, but ultimately like, I think at this point you've, you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish this season um, or not accomplish what you set out to accomplish. You've accomplished enough to where no matter how this bowl game goes, I don't think it's going to change your outlook going into the off season. Um, it'd be great if you won it, but if you lost it, it, I don't think it would make you go into the off season with a sour taste in your mouth. What do you think? Yeah, I, and I think I, I agree with you. We've talked about this before where it's like the bowl game, you kind of want to just play for pride, do whatever, but it's not going to kind of change change this season a little bit. Um, I think the success was already done winning 70% of your games in the regular season. But if you do win this game, I think it could be a nice boost just to kind of put a bow on the year. And for the seniors, you know, they finally get a bowl game. And like you said, Ryan gets another notch on his belt that Mike didn't do any. He ties Mike for most first year wins, which I'm sure he would love to kind of, you know, hang over his head a little bit. Um, wins by a first full season head coach in Memphis, not counting the Cotton Bowl. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, this, even this Montgomery Bowl, like it's, a, it, it's basically a pop up bowl because yeah, the one Memphis is just going to go down like it's a road game. They're going to rather, you know, they're going to go down the day before and then be out of there after the game. Like it's not going to be your typical bowl experience where, you know, you go down for the week and do all these events and all that stuff. Um, it looks like when you look at the numbers, um, especially with the way Memphis played offense the last few games, could be in for a defensive struggle. Uh, uh, you know, uh, these points could be at a premium. Florida Atlantic has the 111th rated offense in the country uh, and the 18th best defense in the country. Uh, so they are a... Uh, defense first team i guess yeah and I, I when i did my five things my preview on them i believe they've only allowed one team to score more than 20 points florida atlantic this season so they're they're tough willie willie taggart's got himself a nice defense down there which will make it really tough for memphis to get points which they've already struggled with so it could be a tough game for them um i'll put well, some- look and look and look it plays into florida atlantic doesn't throw the ball very much their starting quarterback is averaging under 95 yards passing per game. <laughs> so we found an off. We have an offense that is by far worse than Memphis. By far. Um, and so, you know, but they are averaging over 185 rushing yards per game. But it's just not a great offense. It's 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 not. It's just you know so. This is a game you should win if you're Memphis. You're the better team. Um, and but at the same time, they haven't been they haven't been playing great. Yeah. But we've seen they're doing enough to win most of these games, Evan. They they should sc- they should be able to score more than this team, just looking at the numbers. Yeah. My worry is defensively, if Memphis couldn't score, I think this might be the best defense Memphis has faced in Cincinnati. And we saw Tulane kind of give them some more fits than they should have. I mean, their front line was great. I should point out the front line was great at Tulane, but I think this defense by the numbers is better than anyone they face since Cincinnati. And that worries me given how Memphis is going to try to pass the ball a lot. And FAU is ranked 11th in passing defense. Are they? They're going to, the Memphis has said they the Memphis. One of the things about this Memphis offense that's so frustrating at times is that 
they haven't been able to run the ball in like a month and a half, but they continue to just pound the rock. Like even if they're gaining a half a yard, they're going to run it. They've been running it on first and second down a lot. Um, and so maybe, you know, maybe they do that again. And they probably try to do that again in this one. I think that's just like the identity that Ryan Silverfield wants the program to have. And at this point, you know, what do you really have to lose by, you know, like if you, why not use this bowl game to try and reestablish or establish what you want to be moving forward. I know it's with a different quarterback, but everything else on this offense, except the quarterback uh, for the most part is going to remain the same next year. A couple offensive linemen are gone, but other than that, like, and Dykes is gone, but your running backs are back. Your wide receivers are back, should be back. Um, so uh, that, that part will be, uh, the, I guess the, the X's and O's battle will be a little interesting. I, I you know, I, I it, this feels like it could be a close game. I don't know if it's going to be the most aesthetically pleasing game, but could be a close game. But I really think Memphis is the better team and should win. They should. I, I, I just feel like a good defense will give Memphis fits, even mm-hmm. though, even though Florida Atlanta can't score. I'm just like, this might be one of those games where if Memphis can get to 21 or 24, Here's my thing. Here's my thing with this. We've we saw it last week. If Memphis is in a close game late, I'm gonna take Brady White over the guy averaging fewer than 95 yards passing. Like, oh, you know, yeah. like that's a big advantage Memphis has having a guy like Brady White. Oh, I agree. If it's a close game, I'll ride with Brady White for sure. I think there's 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 too much evidence to suggest otherwise. Um, well, well, the good news is we're they're playing in a bowl game. We made it through the season. No one got seriously ill. Um, we did it, Evan. We did it. Um, Memphis football did it. Hallelujah. We we got um, through a regular season, man. Yeah, and so and it you know and it gave us a lot of cool moments like that. You like you know like it wasn't a great you know it wasn't a great season in the sense like there were you know the fans weren't not all the fans could come. There was no tailgating. It didn't. It never felt normal uh during the during the year but we got to you know we got to see a lot of cool moments like the UCF game and like you know Calvin Austin going from you know going from walk on to superstar and Brady White becoming you know becoming the all-time leader in everything uh quarterback related at Memphis um game like that was one of the most fun games we've we've we probably had in a minute like that was a fun game which game? UCF. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no, it was fantastic. And it, it, it was. I'll say this: I don't know. You, you, you might disagree with me here. It made it the, the the way this all played out. It made it feel worth it that they took the risk to do it. I don't know. It just, it, you know, they they got it was it was a redeeming season. Whether whatever you think about, you know, the risks of COVID nineteen, they did get something from playing this season. At least, maybe not worth it is not the right way to phrase it. They did get something out of forging ahead and playing the season. They got memories. I'll say that they got memories. I'm, you know me. I'm very pessimistic about the pandemic, so I'm. I'll, I'll refrain from that. But I'll just say this: that you know, it, would you say this year was a success for Memphis, even though they didn't get to a AAC championship game by finishing? Yes, by finishing with a 70% win percentage, yes. And, you know, like you said, all those moments were, were worth it to see. So we'll see what happens next year, and I think that's kind of where we can really kind of judge, 
you know, the Summerfield era really kind of going to, you know, under his watch. Oh, yeah. How he handles this offseason, who he picks and how the quarterback situation shakes out. That is going to uh, that's going to tell us a lot about the the longevity, the long term prospects of the Silverfield era. But so far, so good. I like I said, like, you know, they like I said, you'd rather it they'd made the AAC championship game. But other than that, like pretty, pretty darn good first year uh, for Ryan Silverfield, uh, given the unusual and unprecedented circumstances, especially. So um It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens here over the next week or so. Um, we will, uh, like I said, no podcast next week ahead of the bowl game. Um, we will we will do one. We will wrap things up with a post mortem podcast uh, after the Christmas holiday. Um, but um, thank you so much for listening throughout this season, um, and we will have tons of coverage up at commercialappeal.com over the next week or so leading into the Montgomery Bowl. Uh, Our colleague, Kari Thompson, is going to be down in Montgomery covering the game because Evan and I are going to be up here in Memphis on uh, Memphis Grizzlies duty because it's the Grizzly, the the Montgomery Bowl is the same time as the Grizzlies season opener. Uh, uh, but we will have tons of coverage at commercialappeal.com regardless of the game. And, and like you said, we'll be back on the podcast here and uh, after Christmas. But since we won't see you till then, Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Happy holidays. Till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan. Thanks so much. And uh, have fun watching the Montgomery Bowl. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.